when you have a big team, there's people you can delegate work to in the short term. You got to get it done. And I can't expect anyone to care about my business more than I do. Um, so I, I always want to put the, the most hustle in. This is The Real Estate Podcast, a show by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Let's hear from our host, Matt Teifke and Alex Kaufman. Welcome to the Real Estate Podcast, all the way from Canada today. We had John Fowler. It was a it was a great show. Uh, Matt set this one up, and you know it was, it was a, a lot of information on business and raising capital and the cannabis industry. What did you think about it, Matt? Well, you know it's called the Real Estate Podcast, but we get a little crazy sometimes. We talk cannabis, and you know I like talking cannabis. So John uh, laid down some knowledge. We talked a little real estate, a little bit of farming, real estate. And I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Stay tuned, sit back, relax, and enjoy. This episode is brought to you by HouseMax Funding. HouseMax is one of the fastest growing hard money lenders in America, specializing in loans that provide you the cash needed to fund flips, buy and holds, and ground up construction projects. HouseMax gives you the ability to compete with all cash buyers and increase your velocity by closing in 7 to 10 business days. If you're looking for cheap hard money and a relentless originator who will make sure your deal gets funded, call or text Bryce Tennyson today, 512-627-6192. Bryce is a great friend of ours. He actually funds all of our hard money uh, loans and uh, he'll get the job done for you. Uh, so make sure you give him a call. Back to the episode. Mr. Fowler, we appreciate you coming on our show, man. You're uh, you're in Canada right now. Is that correct? Absolutely. I'm, I'm here in Toronto, and, and I think you guys are in Austin, one of my favorite cities in the U.S. Well, hey, anytime you come down, we'd love to, to get you some barbecue or some tacos and, and meet you. But Both, man. We'll get both. Man, barbecue tacos. Well, I make, you know, I, I'll tell you a quick story before I jump in. Yeah. Um, so I've only been to Austin once. And I came basically during Hurricane Katrina. So we were flying down. I was still pretty young then. Uh, we were flying down to go to uh, South by Southeast, uh, go to the music con- South by Southwest, go to the music conference. And uh, Katrina happened. So we couldn't fly in direct. We had to fly into San Antonio. And we're sitting in the Toronto airport. And the, the lady at the counter is helping us get our tickets sorted. And when my dad said he was taking the family into a hurricane to see a musical act, I thought this lady was going to call the children's aid on us and get us taken away. But we went. It ended up being the coolest trip because we took an, a basically a 15-hour road trip through back roads and old towns because uh, the interstate was all clogged up to get from San Antonio to Austin. Had a beautiful time uh, time there. Ate just some amazing food and, and uh, you know, enjoyed the city. And, and I haven't had a chance to be back, but... Um, you know, hopefully I'll be down there soon when all this Corona stuff clears up. There we go. Yeah, we, we would welcome you. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can catch up on some of the cannabis laws here in Texas and Austin specifically. But appreciate your time, man. Uh, you know, we, we're, we, we love cannabis. We love following the space. And you're doing a lot of cool things. Uh, you know, we primarily have entrepreneurs, uh, business people, and just try to add value any way we can to our listeners and also to you. Um, if, if you're cool with it, we'd, we'd love to hear about, uh, a little bit about your background and, and how you got to the position that you're in today, uh, what you have going on and, and we'll just jump in and ask, ask questions. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I'm born and bred, uh, here in Toronto Canadian, and, uh, I've been involved in cannabis broadly speaking, uh, since I was a teenager. So I'm, I'm over 15 years, uh, getting close to 20 years 
in the space now. Um, you know, it started, let's be frank, I had an interest in smoking the stuff. I always uh, liked it, the drinking. And, and I always got to say my parents were uh, supportive. They always said the worst thing about pots that you could get caught, it could ruin your life. But from a health perspective, they preferred that, you know, uh, smoking a little pot was better than, you know, drinking a few beer, more beers I'm, than it should. I'm glad you answered that already because everyone always gets mad if I don't ask, do you partake? So. Oh, every day. <laughs> every day. Uh, I, I look at it. Look, you don't, you don't have to consume cannabis to work in the space. I think you do have to love the stuff and love the people that use it. But I think it's a lost opportunity. If you don't like the consuming part of cannabis and the smells and the flavors, you should like not waste your time in the space. Go make money somewhere else that you love. You know, uh, I think it's the same thing, whether you're building homes or working in finance, you know, you should love what you do, but that, that's why I got into it. And then where things really changed is when I was a teenager, I was hanging out with a friend of mine. Her mom came home. She's a, a nurse, sat down on the couch and lit a joint. My mind exploded. I had never seen an adult smoke pot other than Snoop Dogg and Willie Nelson. I was like, oh, I didn't know adults did that. Right. And uh, she's a medical cannabis patient. And that was really where I realized this is not just something that, you know, you do in college or whatever. It's something that can be a part of your life and a positive part of your life. You know, she told me the story of how cannabis helped her. And then for about seven or eight years, my peer group was medical cannabis patients generally in their 50s, 60s and 70s. Um, and it was amazing. I learned how to grow. I learned how to make products. I learned the hardship of the laws. I learned the problems all around the world. Um, and that eventually led me to, to become an attorney. Uh, originally, I wanted to be a cannabis rights attorney. Uh, it turns out that's not really a, a full-time job. So I ended up being a corporate suit uh, on Bay Street. So that's Canada's equivalent of Wall Street. And uh, basically, by the time my first 90 days of work was done, uh, the cannabis company that I had started when I was a student, got uh, we sold it to a public company. And I got a knock on my door to run that public company. So in November of 2014, uh, I quit law to sell drugs. Uh, as I like to tell my mom, because I can see her blood pressure go up when I say it, but no, I quit to run uh, Supreme Cannabis Company. We built the brand Seven Acres in Canada to be one of the top brands, really flower focused, really consumer focused. Um, and, you know, I had a great five year run there. We built the company up to almost a thousand employees globally. We we're at a, an $80 million a year revenue run rate, getting close to 100 mil. Um, and, you know, we, we raised over 300 million bucks to, to build that business. So it really was a fantastic experience. Uh, really honed my business view of cannabis. You know, I got into cannabis as an advocate and as a as a consumer and, and being a cannabis entrepreneur. And then over the last year since since I've um, been out at Supreme, uh, focused on building up uh, Blaze Ventures. So that's a, a consulting and investment firm that I started with a partner. Uh, and what we focus on is finding good opportunities in the Canadian space where we think that the commercial opportunity is undervalued. So we're not trying to build public companies or, or create capital gains. We're, we're trying to work hard and, and build net income and, and make real operating profits. Uh, so we're involved in a sales and marketing company uh, that we started where we started a big concentrate. So that's, um, we launched in December as one of the biggest concentrate brands in Canada, one of the, the must have pro products in our biggest market here in Canada. It's, it's dabs, you know, like uh, rosin and stuff like that. And then uh, most of my time I spent uh, uh, working at a company called Muskoka Grown and that's a, an asset that uh, was in some financial difficulty in 2020. Uh, we're doing a court-led uh, restructuring of that company. And myself and my team are leading the operations there. It's just about two hours outside of Toronto. And our goal is to build that over 2021 into one of the top sort of, um, you know, everyday smoker brands, right? Like good indicas, good flavor, fair prices. You know, we're not trying to do the Dom Perignon thing or, or Jay-Z's $50 joints. We're, we're trying to just 
you know, good weed for people that want to get high every day and uh, don't want to have to mortgage their home or give up their firstborn. They just want to, you know, pay a fair price for good bud. Nice, man. So uh, big focus is uh, building out the existing, you know, businesses that you have. Are you, uh, are you bringing on investors and, and looking at new opportunities all the time as well? Um, so primarily I'm self-financing the businesses that, that I'm working on. Um, so I do have a, a partner in Muskoka Grown who is one of the, the creditors from the prior business. Uh, but for the most part, again, that's why we're focused on operating cash flow. That gives us the ability to reinvest in ourselves and build the team. And, and for us, it's, it's really about making sure that we can control the vision and the direction of the companies. You know, we don't always see eye to eye with the rest of the space, uh, but at least five years in Canada has proven that for the most part, um, our, our thesis are correct. Uh, and for the most part, when we bet on ourselves is when we do the best. So we're, we're okay growing a little slower um, and bootstrapping ourselves up rather than taking the money that's you know, maybe available to us. But I think the end result is a stronger company and certainly a lot more fun when I come to work every day. Yeah, for sure. And we're so far removed, you know, uh, me being a, a big fan of, of cannabis and, and everything that it can provide. Uh, being in Texas is an unfortunate in some ways, like knowing what's going on. I mean, it seems like it would be so exciting to be in the mix in Canada and be around it. And I've got a couple questions. Um, you know, I'm, I'm so intrigued by the beverages. And also, I, I feel as if... Uh, and uh, sorry if you take this wrong, but like, can I feel like Canada messed up in the way they've they've done this in some ways. Like they were the leader and they did it first, and I I kind of want them to 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 continue to be that way. But it, it seems from an, the outside that they've made it like very restrictive, which has allowed you know some of these U.S. companies to to like get some get some advantages here, um, you know. And it, it's just interesting, like. I feel like Canada could have done a little bit better job of, of leading this whole industry, leading the world. And uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but would love to hear your perspective on the beverages and, and Canada, you know, as far as trying to be a market leader as a, as a, you know, place. Yes. So um, <clears throat> I think starting with the beverages, that that's a really exciting category for me. It's not something I deal with much directly. I'm, I'm not a big edibles fan. Uh, for me, you know, you want to sit down and, and smoke joint after joint after joint on a Friday, I'm game. You give me five edibles and I'm asleep, you know, five milligrams, 10 milligrams, and I'm asleep. That said, <clears throat> I think that it's a really interesting format to build social consumption, right? So one reason that I, as an entrepreneur, I like dried flour, there's a ritual around consuming, right? <clears throat> I used to work in beverage alcohol, I used to work in bars, you know, there's a ritual around how we drink, right? We we don't take alcohol pills or alcohol patches. It's as much about how we consume and how we can, who we consume with than actually the, the end result of being intoxicated, right? Um, so for me, I love the ritual around smoking cannabis. Uh, I'm curious to see how that ritual may or may not be different post-COVID. You know, are we going to pass joints around again? Who knows? Uh, but I think with drinks, what's cool is um, there's at least a vision you can have in your head of like a a cannabis bar, right? Going in, getting a pint of, of a cannabis uh, lager or, or having a shot of something. And it's social. Whereas um, with edibles, when you're just eating something, the, the ritual of consumption isn't there. So the effect can still be great, medical or recreational. It can still be a product people love. But for me, it's less exciting if there, there isn't that interaction, that social interaction to put the brand in as part of. <clears throat> in terms of Canada, look, we get hated on all over the place for what we could or could have not done better. This is the luxury the rest of the world has at our expense. We did it first. 
we got some things right, we got some things wrong, but everyone now gets the 2020 hindsight to decide what they would have done better. And it's just like, look, I am a fantastic quarterback on Monday morning. I get every play right on Monday, but on Sunday, you know, I'm, I'm hit and miss. So I think it's the same thing there. You know, I think what people forget is it was a scary time to go first, right? We didn't know was, you know, was America going to shut down the border because all of a sudden we were, we were allowing, you know, what for you guys is a class one narcotic, right? Uh, where the, was the UN going to come down on us? What, you know, there's all these crazy ideas of, of how the sky could fall. So I think we took a relatively conservative approach. We also had to make sure that obviously cannabis people were for it, but not everyone in the country is for it. About 40% of Canadians were against it. So we also had to make sure if we were too aggressive and the government were to change, you know, that law could have gotten rolled back. So uh, all in, I think, I think we, we struck a decent balance. But now it's about evolving that and making it more consumer and business friendly over time. Yeah. And, and I say that not to, to knock by any means. I honestly, and I'm in the US, but I honestly wanted Canada to lead it. Like you, you went first, you should be leading it. And so that's why it seems, and I don't know if I'm right or not, but, uh, and I know it's probably not too late. I just, I want Canada to be leading the cannabis industry. Honestly, they were the first persons that did it. They led the freaking world, right? And that's why I say that is like, I want you to be in that position to continue to do that. And uh, just kind of speculating on, on what it looks like from being so far out of it here and, you know, way far away in Texas. We, we got a lot of, we got a lot of work to do, you know, uh, marketing and advertising are pretty restrictive. We don't have social consumption. It'll come, but you see that, right. Whether it's Colorado, California, it's usually the first few years of legalization is just getting product out the door. And then it's about making the whole environment more sustainable, uh, more customer friendly and more entrepreneur friendly. So it'll come. But I think a couple of things to point out, you know, we have a multi-billion dollar uh, federal market. So we, we are one of the biggest cannabis markets in the entire world. Right. Um, you know, you guys have some states that are huge, but, you know, on a whole, we're, we're still as pretty much as big as any U.S. state from a dollar spend perspective. But also we've figured out all the kinks of having a federal program. So hopefully we see a federal program in the U.S. It's going to make some challenges, right? It's not as easy as just a stroke of the pen. You got to think about taxes. You got to think about um, you know, how to allocate those taxes. You know, each, we have provinces, not states, but each province has slightly different rules around age and time and stores can be open and that. So you have to harmonize all that. So I do still think we, we really have that leadership position and as, as a country for, for our finance industry and our cannabis industry, keep in mind, pretty much all of the biggest cannabis companies, except for a couple, you know, California privates, they're all actually Canadian public companies. So uh, for the time being, you could argue even the, uh, you know, the GTIs and the, the Curas and the Crescos of the world, those are all Canadian companies too. They just do their work in the U.S. The Real Estate Podcast is sponsored by Doyen Inspections. Doyen is a team of female professional home inspectors that serve the greater Austin area. Whether you are buying a resale, building a new home, or about to list your home for sale, the ladies at Doyen Inspections can inspect your home. They provide a color-coded and thorough inspection report full of images, videos, and explanations. Visit Doyen, that is D-O-Y-E-N-N-E, inspections.com for more information or give them a call at 512-655-9940 now back to the episode what do you look for i mean are, are you uh what are things that you're searching for right now within the business are you looking for certain type of people to join your team like it's such a fascinating industry 
where there's people like you that are, you know, you've been in it, you know, enjoying the product. And then there's like the, the business, the straight business guys who've never smoked it in their life um, that are running these businesses. It, it's so fascinating to, to try to break this industry down. Like what, what kind of, are you trying to get around more and more people or what are, what are some big challenges and, and goals for you moving forward other than just, you know, focusing on these business as far as looking for new business development, new opportunity, new people? Yeah. So for us, you know, the more you think of cannabis as just any old business, the better, you know, it's regulated, it's got some quirks, but at the end of the day, we make a thing and we sell a thing. So we need someone to buy that thing and we hope to have some margin at the end of the day. So um, I, you know, I, I think there's a perception that, that the cannabis smoking business person is different than the booze drinking business person. But I think we're the same, except I feel a lot better in the morning. Um, and, and I'm yet to have a night where I stayed up late, uh, smoking joints and in the morning had to think about, oh, did I say something I shouldn't have? Um, so, but that aside, like, you know, fundamentally we look for good business metrics. So whether we're looking to acquire a company or take on a client or whether we're looking to onboard somebody on the team, we want someone who is good at the business that they do or good at the function of their business that they do. And that's, that's why we win. You know, some of the people I have working for me in operations, sales, marketing, cultivation, you know, I'd say these are the top 1% of professionals in their field in this country, uh, whether they consume or not, I don't care, but um, they all have a, a certain empathy for consumers and, and a real love for what we're doing. And, and again, you don't have to, um, you know, for example, I used to know a lawyer in Toronto who's an avid wine collector that doesn't drink. So he's the best guy to have dinner with. He'll put the most beautiful bottles on the table. He'll have, you know, a, a, a cent, uh, you don't know what that is, a half inch of wine in the bottom of glass. I was going to say a centimeter our crazy metric system. He'll put <laughs> half an inch of wine in the bottom of the glass. He'll smell it. He'll taste it and spit it out. And for him, that's good enough for the rest of us. You know, you can go at, at the bottle like crazy, but um, you know, for him, he still loves wine, even though he doesn't really consume alcohol. And again, I think you can love cannabis without being a heavy THC consumer. Uh, but that, that's what we look for. You got to be great at the business. You have to have a passion and, and a real empathy for the consumer. And then we've got to be able to add value. So when we're looking at businesses, or whether it's a client engagement or something we're taking on directly, we look at, okay, you know, without changing the puzzle pieces, can we rearrange this to make a picture that's more attractive going forward than what the existing management team has been doing? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about uh, kind of, you know, we have a real estate podcast. Like how, how, do you, how do you view real estate or factor real estate into anything you're doing with cannabis? Is that a, a big thing that comes across your mind or more of an afterthought? I mean, it's something to think about. It's, it's a big balance sheet item for pretty much every company that we work with. So I think, first of all, uh, we look at what's the level of capital investment being made. So, for example, in my last company, when you know, we were investing you know, over $150 million in PP&E, we, we definitely wanted to own that piece of farmland that the property was on, right? We didn't want to have a world five years, 10 years, 20 years out that a lease renewal is coming up uh, or, or the landlord has a solvency problem. And next thing you know, uh, there could be some challenges around our ability to operate the, the plant that we invested in. Uh, for smaller companies making a smaller investment, it may not be strategic to own the land. So I think that's just an asset utilization question. My biggest comment on real estate, and I think this is important, and this is something I worry about, especially when, from the lender side, when I see a lot of secured transactions or sale and leaseback transactions, for the most part, and this is not always true, but for the most part, when a cannabis company acquires a warehouse or a greenhouse and converts it to cannabis use 
every dollar they spend on the asset to someone who is not in cannabis lowers the value of the asset. The reason I'm saying is if you take a hundred thousand square foot warehouse and divide that into 20 or 30 small rooms, you may have spent a lot of money on power and water and infrastructure. But if you go tits up, unless that next tenant's also in cannabis, that landlord's going to have to spend a bunch of money to open that warehouse back up into a box so he or she can rent it again or sell it, right? Same with the greenhouse. Once you start dividing up walls and all these other things, um, it's not necessarily easy for a tomato guy to go back into it. So uh, that's one thing I had to learn that lesson the hard way when I couldn't figure out why people wouldn't lend to me at our, our previous company. Uh, but it's something that we have conversations with, with lenders around is, you know, if you're going to be securing something against that real estate, you need to be thinking about what's the cannabis liquidity uh, if you're liquidating into cannabis. But if there's some sort of sectoral downturn or there's just no bids on the cannabis side, your non-cannabis um, value may actually be lower than before the cannabis company started spending money. So they're, they're evaluating you know, this real estate transaction based on if you can't grow cannabis there, how's it going to produce income? I think you have to. I mean, I, I think if I was lending to the cannabis space for real estate, obviously I, I would look at what's the valuation if this stays in the cannabis space, but you know, what if it's not? And, and using Canada as an example, so we had a lot of really cheap capital. So we arguably built a lot of facilities that at a different cost of capital never would have gotten done. But we have hundreds of thousands of square feet around this country of, of either half finished or abandoned projects. Um, that are vacant. And the fact that they're vacant tells me that there's nobody stepping up to buy them. So if you're a lender on that and you would assume that, you know, somebody's spending, you know, let's say $20 million on a small to mid-sized growth facility, that you're at least going to get that $20 million back if you ever have to enforce a security. I think that's a dangerous risk, right? And anyone in the lending business, understanding liquidation value is, is a huge success factor to having a good lending portfolio. And part of that is understanding what, what sector or what industry are you going to liquidate into if the time comes? That's a, that's a very good point. And so um, when y'all are, you know, taking down these projects, uh, how are you combating, you know, that objection by these lenders? Uh, we do, we just do it in the value. So, you know, part of the benefit when we're coming in, whether we're coming in as consultants or whether, you know, like Muskoka grown, we're coming in to take a, a, a position of ownership. Um, these are all things we value when we look at how do we build stakeholder value over, you know, a three to five year period, right? So we think about, um, you know, if we think the assets are, are potentially overvalued or maybe the, the balance sheet statement of assets isn't what we think it could be dealt with on a liquidation, we need to take that into account as we look at building our, our value for stakeholders, right? So um, it, it varies, it, it's pretty bespoke. We don't, we don't have a cookie cutter model uh, because I have a lot of people that are on my team that are really, really good at what they do they can consume information and, and create insights and create a thesis very quickly. So, you know, usually we just ask for a lot of info across the business, you know, biographies, strategies, assets, you know, different reports. We try to consume as much primary data as we can very quickly. Uh, and then we make our own thesis as to if there's a value creation to, to happen. And then the next step is based on that value creation, is there enough juice from the squeeze to make it worth our while? Because we've had clients where we said, look, we can build the business, but uh, if we want to get paid well, then it's not worth it for you, right? Um, so we've got to find those opportunities that have enough upside uh, that we can do well and, and our clients or our partners can do well at the same time. Right. Absolutely. What, um, 
what would you say are, are some of the keys that, that have driven you to the level of success that you've, you've gotten to at this point? Any, anything that really sticks out that would be valuable for uh, entrepreneurs or anyone that's listening? Uh, the first one I would say is I'm fortunate to have a very supportive home life. Uh, I think uh, I remember when I was in school uh, hearing that more than half of entrepreneurs end up getting divorced during their startups. Uh, so I've been very fortunate. My, my partner Zoe, we actually got engaged this month. Uh, she stood by me for 13 Congrats. years. And there's something to know that, you know, entrepreneurship, as you guys know, it's up and down, right? You have great days and terrible days. You seem to never have an okay day. It's, it's one or the other. And having stability at home, I think, is important. It's actually something I look for in my partners. If we're going to jump in and do something for a few years, I want to know there's some level of stability in, in your personal life. Because it's hard, right? You know, you might be on the road for long periods of time. You've got calls at all hours of the day. Um, you know, you got to have that stability. So first and foremost, that's been big. Uh, second of all, uh, I've been fortunate that, that I got a set of jeans where I only sleep five or six hours every night. So I, I can sit at a computer and read for 20 hours a day um, if I have to. And that's always been a, a help for me because especially in the early days, maybe there, you know, when you have a big team, there's people you can delegate work to in the short term, you got to get it done. And I can't expect anyone to care about my business more than I do. Um, so I, I always want to put the, the most hustle in. All right, guys, let's talk about today's sponsor. Glenn LeBlanc and Supreme Lending have been serving the Austin market for 20 plus years. They are a local lender with in-house underwriting, so you're kept in the loop every step of the way. Whether you're doing a cash out for home repairs or a first time home buyer, Glenn makes the lending process smooth and easy to navigate. Always available and able to educate buyers along the way. Choose a local lender when buying your next home. Call 512-672-9472 anytime. And if you say you heard this ad on our podcast, Glenn will refund your appraisal if you use him. Definitely reach out to Glenn. Glenn is a personal friend of ours. The link to his website is in the description below. Now back to the episode. Um, and then the third one is I don't have a life outside of cannabis. So that's really helpful to me. So if I'm going to read, I'm probably reading something about cannabis or cannabis business. If I'm going to sit on social media, you know, other than uh, all the ads I get now for engagement rings and weddings, once you get engaged, <laughs> pretty much all cannabis stocks, right? And cannabis companies. So a lot of people ask me, oh, how do you follow all these trends and this and that? I'm like, just don't have any hobbies. If you don't have any hobbies other than your work, you put a lot of time into it. And I think that's the final thing. I've been so fortunate that my passion for being an entrepreneur, I mean, I've been trying to make businesses since I was, I was a kid, you know, cutting lawns and, and doing stuff like that it happened to coincide with, with cannabis legalization. Um, I don't know what I would have done if that didn't happen. Cause I don't think I would love uh, entrepreneurship in another field, the way I love it in cannabis. And also I don't think I would love cannabis the same way if that's what I did at night. And then I did something else during the day. So, you know, it's, that's really, it's that family, the hustle and, and just consuming a lot of primary data that, that I think has made me successful. Let, let me ask you, uh, does anybody ever ask you, uh, what do you do for fun? You, do, yeah, I, do I smoke ask, weed with my fiance. <laughs> <laughs> do people ask you that though? When Yeah, all the time. Like I, I have a saying uh, that, that I, I sorry, I, I should say, um, I think there's a lot of sayings that we, we all use that, that I really don't like. So for example, uh, everyone's heard treat other people the way you wanted to be treated, right? I think that's the worst thing. Treat other people the way they want to be treated. What if you don't want to be treated the way I like to be treated? It's kind of silly, right? Uh, that's one that, that drives me nuts. But the other one that I hate is the concept of work-life balance. So I started my career in law firms. They're all about work-life balance, work-life balance. It's that idea that basically you should hate your work 
so that you need the balance of something else to feel better. For me, I hope that people just have a life that includes work and things that aren't work. And you don't need to think about balance because you're happy to do both. So I'll give you an example. This year, I'm so proud of my fiance, Zoe. She started a food charity. So just in March with COVID, her and a couple of friends, uh, they just started collecting food from food banks. And, and we make between a few volunteers, uh, basically a couple hundred meals every Sunday. And we take it down to some local shelters and they distribute it you know, to, to, to people that, that need food on a Sunday. And it's cool to think, you know, we've done 10,000, almost 20,000 meals last year. Um, and, you know, there's people that every Sunday, you know, they, they know if they go to a certain place in Toronto, they can get a nice hot meal and we work hard to make it taste good and all that. And, you know, in doing that, I basically took on a part-time job that's 15 or 20 hours a week. I wake up at, you know, six, seven o'clock in the morning every Sunday. And, and we're usually not done till the evening by the time we've cleaned up and everything and shopping and all that. Well, you know, in December, we took our first Sunday off and I couldn't realize how much I missed it. So I get more energy, you know, sitting and working on a Sunday for something I'm passionate about than, you know, sitting on the couch and watching the football game. I can still have the football game on in the background. But, you know, that's what I learned about myself this year is uh, when you do things you love, that's recharging on its own. It's like a perpetual energy machine. When I didn't like my work as much, that's why I needed those separate times to recharge. I needed that time to watch sports. I needed that time to hang out with friends or whatever. And, and what I learned in 2020 is if you're, if you work hard to make sure you do things you really like to do, um, that whole, like, what do you do for fun thing becomes a weird question. I know. And, and that's why he asked. It is yeah. a weird question for him. Yeah. That's why I asked. And, and it made me think about it when you were talking about, uh, you know, every time you, you, if you're reading something, you're reading something about cannabis, you scroll through your phone or Facebook or whatever, you're looking at cannabis companies or stocks. And, uh, I mean, it's the same thing for us as, you know, building businesses and real estate. And, uh, I've been asked that quite a bit and, um, you know, like the answer is this, this is the funnest shit ever. I mean, why would I want to do you know, anything else, uh, you know, you don't like going on hikes or doing this, or doing that. It's like, no, I, I like doing this. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm five foot eight. I'm kind of fat and I'm not very coordinated. This is my sports. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do a lot better business building businesses and, and having fun in entrepreneurship than, uh, you know, going to play pickup hockey or something like that. So it, it works for me. And, and again, I think that's what, what separates people that, that enjoy entrepreneurship. I I've been fortunate to have some wins. I've had some epic fails and I'm going to have both, you know, over the next 20, 30, 50 years that I'm doing this. So, you know, I think you have to enjoy the process. If you like the process and you can be proud of, of the values you have and how you approach the work, whether you win or lose at the end, you still had a good time. Like, you know, when I did play sports, I played on a ton of losing teams. I still loved it. Right. Cause you know, you worked hard and you're proud of what you tried to accomplish. And I take that same approach to business, right? It, I, I can't guarantee that financially anything I do is going to be a win, but I can guarantee that if I'm going to spend a year on a project that I'm happy to spend that time and I'm proud of the work that we did. And, and that's sort of the lens that we take as we approach our businesses here in Canada. Awesome. That's great, man. So uh, we appreciate your time. Uh, what, are, what are ways that we can add value for you? Uh, maybe our listeners, anything that, that we can help out with? No, I think this was super cool. Uh, you know, when I saw you guys reaching out, uh, haven't done much interacting with the U.S. So I think keep the lines of communication open. You're welcome to share my social handles if people want to give us a follow. Always happy to have conversations online if people have questions. And, and it's, you know, my value is, is I get to learn about the U.S. market a bit more or how U.S. investors are thinking about the Canadian market. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's important.
important. So let's just keep the dialogue open. And uh, generally, I'm John underscore Fowler underscore JD on social. You can post that out. And uh, just, you know, love expanding my network and, and having great conversations about the plan. Same here, man. Appreciate your time. And uh, maybe we'll be passing the joint around one day. So thank you so much. Sounds good. Austin, man, it's up there on the list of places I got to get to when I can come on. Hit us up. We love it. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Later, man.